Grace to you from God our Father and from our Savior Jesus Christ who loves us and has called us to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and Father. We've been saying it for a number of weeks now, maybe we're broken records, but I don't care. Roots before fruits, being before doing, perp identity before purpose. We're, we're, we're doubling down, tripling down on this, this truth of who are we? And we want to fill in that answer for you from on the basis of the scripture so that we can answer that. Who are we? We can say, what, what can we say so far on the basis of what we've looked at? We can say, I am enough. I am sufficient in Christ. God has made you and me competent as ministers of the new covenant. We can say that we're, we're stones that are built up by God, that God is building up into this holy temple. We can say that I'm a, I'm a holy priesthood with a holy purpose. We're going to lean into this question a little bit more today and then begin to ask a new question. Because of who I am, what good can I do around here? We're not going to explicitly answer that question, but we are going to let that be in the background of your mind that because of who I am in Christ, what good can I do around here? My simple prayer for you this morning is that God, on the basis of His Word and the meditation that we'll do together, that God would give you a new imagination for the life that you live and for the work that you do. See, sometimes I think we think about imagination as if it were a bad thing, but what if our imaginations were informed by the truth of God so that the, the imagination of our minds were captivated by the truth of God so that then we lived by faith, not by sight, so we could imagine our life and our work and everything that we do for God as His people differently. That's my prayer. And we're going to do that on the basis of God's Word in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. We're, we're picking up where we left off. Peter says this, But you are, he's declaring identity, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Lord God, let the words of my mouth this morning lift up the hearts of your people this morning, that, that these words that I speak and that the meditation of our hearts that we undertake together, that all of it would be pleasing in your sight, God. Raise up among us a holy people, a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, that, that we might, with our whole lives, declare your praises. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I try to imagine what it's like, or what it would be like, to be a baseball player in a stadium, 45,000 strong, 
and you crack one out of the park, smack one over the fence, and the crowd goes silent. Crickets. Can you imagine what that would be like for a baseball player, for Christian Yelich, to knock one over the fence and nobody cheers? I suppose they got a taste of that during the days of COVID when they played in empty stadiums. But try to imagine it with a stadium full of people where where the crowd would normally go wild and there's nothing. What a bummer. I don't know about you, but we tend to live for applause. I, I, I personally can kind of relate to that kind of thing. You know, I, going back to the days of COVID when Pastor Krieger and I were preaching to a camera instead of people. But, but even so, I, I don't know if you know this about me yet, but I preach to people. And when I preach to people, I read people. So if you're sleeping, I'm like, oh boy, what am I doing wrong up here? Or if you give me one of these looks, like you're confused, I'll, I'll say, I need to explain that better or if you're, if you're nodding, I, I get excited about that because that means we're in agreement. That's your, when you nod like this, that's your silent amen, right? A sermon, I believe, is, a, is an event in time. It, it's meant for a particular people of God at a particular place, place, at a particular time. That's why I can never reuse a sermon because it's for you right here, right now. And so, to be honest, I'm not fishing. I'm not fishing, I promise. In fact, don't say anything after the service unless it's real. It's a little bit of a bummer when you feel like you hit a home run of a sermon and nobody says anything. Or they sit there in the pew like they're watching the gray sky outside. Come on. We tend, right or wrong, we tend to live for applause. And I think we can lean into that just a little bit and think about that in our, in our work together as a church, right? We, we all have things that we do in church, but there are some things that people do that never make a congregational report. Like nobody's writing up reports and writing thank you notes to the guy who picks up trash on Thursday, or the guy who weeds around the buildings, or the guy who trims the shrubs. Nobody's putting that in the congregational report. And nobody's standing up here at the mic and saying, you know what, I sure am grateful for the person who puts the connection cards in the pews and and prepares the bulletins for Sunday morning. And and I know, I know, some of you are already saying in your minds, I don't do it for that. I don't do it for the thank you. In fact, I don't want it. Please don't tell me. I've had people actually say, don't say thank you to me because I don't want to talk about it. But at some point inside of us, we want whether from other people or just this internal validation. We want this sense of what I did matters. We want our work to, this is the first fill-in, we want our work to do something for us. Not do in the sense of accomplishment, but do as in the sense of make us matter and mean something. We could talk about this in terms of, of our life at home, right? How many people are noticing the diapers that get changed, the laundry that gets folded, the garbage that gets taken out? It's, it's a little bit like a wife who goes, or a woman who goes to get her hair cut, and then she comes back and wonders if anybody notices, and her husband didn't. 
We, we want, you, you get the idea, we want our work to do something for us. We want, in some cases, we want the spotlight to shine on us because of who we are and what we've done. We want the crowd to go wild when the home run goes over the fence. And if it's not that, maybe we want the work to shine on our work itself, right? We want our work to, because when our work shines, then even if nobody else knows that we did it, we, are, we at least can take pleasure, pride in it ourselves. What I'm trying to drive at and help you try to imagine this morning is, is this thing that we all do where we all want to matter, we all want the work that we do to make a difference, at least a dent. We, we want the ripples of our work to, to, to be concentric circles that just go out and out and out and out. We want, I just keep saying it, to have value and to matter. And all of us seek that in all kinds of different ways. I want to say a few things about that this morning because I feel like in the past when people have said, Pastor, I don't know what I can do to serve God, I feel like I haven't always given the most helpful answer. See, a lot of times when somebody will say to me, Pastor, I don't know what I can do for the church, I'll try to give them jobs to do. By the way, that's just a warning. If you tell me you don't have purpose, I'll give you a job. Just letting you know. Actually, I probably won't anymore, although I'll still try to find you work to do. I don't think I've always given the most helpful answer. So I want to say a couple of things about meaning and value and work. And the first thing I'll say is this. We cannot derive or get our meaning or value from our work. We, we, we just... You can maybe feel this in the depths of your bones, but you just can't. Wives, your husbands will never appreciate what you do enough. They will never notice what you do enough. Husbands, your wives will never appreciate how hard you work to take care of your family. They will never say it enough. Right? If you're working around church, people won't notice what you do enough. They won't appreciate you enough. Right? It's, and it's, I could go on. You cannot get your meaning and value from your work because one, people won't appreciate it enough. There will always be somebody better at it than you. And when I say better, I mean in terms of their ability to do it. Somebody can clean better, they can pick up better, they can do it better. Somebody can do more of it. Right? There will always, you do this comparison game, you can look at somebody else over there and you can say, somebody will always do it better than me. So if you're trying to get value and meaning by comparison, it won't work. And by the way, if you're trying to get meaning and value from God because of what you do, on your very best day, the best God owes you is, way to go. You just did what you were supposed to do. That's what Jesus said. His disciples were like, Jesus, we did our duty. And Jesus said, well, if you just did your duty, way to go. You did your job. And that's not to mention the fact that the way we do what we do never matches God's expectation. 
So if you're expecting God most of all and people least of all to pat you on the back for what you've done, you might as well forget it. Because you cannot get, we cannot get our meaning and value from what we do, from our work. But we do get it from Jesus. I, I suppose you should have been expecting that answer all along, like this is the way this whole thing turns. But, but we have, this is where we have to lean into identity still. Right? This is why it's so important for us to know who we are and who we are. It has to be divorced from what we do. Identity separate from purpose. Identity bleeds into purpose, but we don't get identity from purpose. That's why we have to remember, I am competent and sufficient and enough in Christ. I am a living stone built into the house of God. Let me just reach back into 1 Peter chapter 1 for a moment. We referenced it in the Connect Group study last week, but I want to reach into it. How do you know that you matter and are valuable to God? It is not because of what you can offer Him. It is because of what He has paid for you. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter talks about this, this redemptive work of God with the holy, blood, holy and precious blood of Christ. And one church father, he asked the question, Whose blood is running through the veins of the, the, of the God-man Jesus? It's God's blood. And, and he makes this conclusion. He says, one drop of this divine blood of Jesus would have been enough to redeem the world and cover all our sins and wash them all away. But God did not just spill one drop of blood. He spilled all the drops of blood. So if you want to talk about value, how much did God value you he gave all his blood for you. All the blood of the God-man Jesus for you. And you keep walking in Peter's letter. Pastor Krieger talked about this last week. But, but consider again what God is doing. God is building you into his church. And not because of what you can offer the church. You fit here, but not because of what you can do. You belong here, but not because of what you can offer. That's all. That we have to divorce those two ideas. We're sufficient, we're enough, we're valuable in God's sight because God. Not because you. Oh, and did you notice? I promised not to go through the text again last week, but we have to notice some of this stuff. Did you notice the identity that Peter keeps preaching? Did you notice that the same titles that Peter gives to Jesus, he gives to you? Jesus is the living stone on which the whole church is built, and you also are like living stones. Jesus is the one chosen by God, and you too are a chosen people. Jesus is the priest of God who offered himself for the sins of the world, and you too are a holy priesthood. And Peter's just getting started. Did you catch the way Peter preaches identity to us? Let me read it again. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, God's special possession. That's who you are. We could spend the rest of the next couple of days unpacking these identities, but I want to focus on a pair. Peter says you are a royal priesthood. And I call it a pair because we can break those apart and we can say, on the one hand, you are royalty, you are a king or a queen, and you are a priest. You are a king, queen, because of Jesus. Which means that everything is beneath you, everything is your servant, everything serves your good, which even means to say that the devil is your servant. Because the devil is God's devil. And God makes everything the devil does serve his purposes. All things are beneath him. So that the devil may try his worst, but God always will work out his best. You see what this means? That, that Luke, you see what this means? That God sets you on a throne with Christ and makes all things, all people underneath you. You are kings and queens, and you are also priests. Now, this office is actually, I would say, maybe a little bit greater than being a king. Because a king just rules, but what does a priest do? A priest comes into the presence of God on behalf of other people. A a priest offers up sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Uh, A priest does holy things for a holy God to serve the world around us. Which all of this is to say, if you are a royal priest, which you are, then all your work is holy. Think with me for a minute about the work that Jesus did. A lot of it, when you get right down to it, was pretty mundane and ordinary and sometimes kind of disgusting. I mean, Jesus got down on his hands and feet to wash the feet of his disciples. He was king, and now he's washing feet. He let an adulterous woman anoint his feet with her tears. He touched, reached out and touched dead people. He hung out with a man who was possessed by a demon and lived in the tombs. You know what people said about him? Some people anyway. He's a lunatic. What's he doing? He eats with Tax collectors and sinners. They looked at Jesus and they couldn't see anything holy about him, nor could they see anything holy about his work. That's why they killed him. But what about you? What what do you see when you look at this Jesus who touches dead bodies and goes to hang out among the tombs? and washes feet. What do you see 
when you look at that Jesus, he's precious to you. I know what you said about him just a minute ago. I know what we all said about him. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. We, we look at Jesus, that one whom, whom some people killed. We look at him and say, that's my Jesus. That's my Lord. And we also look at his work. And we say, that's holy work. How many of you look at the work that Jesus did and say, oh, that's gross? To a person, I don't think any of you here would say that. Because you look at the work of your King Jesus and you say, that's my King, that's my Lord, that's holy work. So if the work of Jesus is holy, then yours is too. If the dirty work of Jesus is holy, then yours is too. If the boring, ordinary, mundane, nobody notices kind of work of Jesus is holy, then yours is too. So when you take out the trash, or change a diaper, or fold some laundry, or empty the dishwasher, that's holy work. And when you make a phone call, or write a card, or, or do something nobody notices, that's holy work. And, and when you correct papers and teach students and connect with parents, that's holy work. I, I think you get the idea. Because of your Savior Jesus, all of your work is holy. Because you are kings and queens with Jesus, all of your work is holy. <coughs> Amen? Amen? Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen.